0: Hi, this is Professor of Photography, Jeff Curto, and welcome to episode number 11 of the History of Photography podcast. In this episode, we'll talk about the history of an interesting, beautiful, and easy-to-do photographic printing process, the cyanotype. Long-time listeners to the podcast and uh, historians of photography will remember that some of the first experiments with photography and photographic material involved placing objects on light-sensitive materials and then exposing them to bright light, like the sun. Niepce did this early on, as did William Henry Fox Talbot with his silver and salt emulsion. Here, Fox Talbot has created a shadow picture or what we usually refer to as a photogram, with a piece of lace. We'll remember that an acquaintance of Fox Talbot's was Sir John Frederick William Herschel. Herschel was an English mathematician, and an astronomer, and a chemist, and an inventor, and an experimental photographer. He helped Fox Talbot. He also invented Chemical Fixer, a chemical that allowed Fox Talbot's salt and silver images to keep from fading by removing the unexposed silver particles. And he also coined terms that we still use today, the name of photography to describe what it is that we do, and positive and negative. All of those terms were ones that Herschel coined. In 1842, shortly after Daguerre and Fox Talbot made their announcements of their similar but patently different processes in photography, Herschel invented a light-sensitive material that produced a beautiful blue when exposed to light, and then washed in water, the cyanotype. Now we'll remember that Daguerre's process produced an original, one-of-a-kind image on a metal plate, whereas Fox Talbot's process produced a paper negative that was placed inside of a camera, and of course, originally, as we just saw, was used to make photograms, and then he needed to make a paper positive from his negative image. So, uh, you can sort of see that Herschel was really thinking along the lines of, positive and negative and paper-based images when he came up with the cyanotype. It's also worth noting that in addition to all of his other accomplishments, Herschel was the father of 12 children, and you gotta wonder how he ever found the time. The color produced by the cyanotype is also uh, often referred to as Prussian blue. Prussian blue Uh, because of its similarity to the uniforms of Prussian soldiers. In point of fact, Prussian blue paint was an 18th century invention, about 100 years before the cyanotype was invented. Uh, Prussian blue was the first synthetically produced pigment, replacing the much more expensive lapis lazuli that had previously been used to produce blue in paintings. When Herschel invented the cyanotype, he didn't really envision it as a photographic medium uh, in a particular way. He envisioned it more as a means of reproducing notes and diagrams, uh, like in blueprints. And here we see uh, both uh, some written words and then also an engraving that Herschel reproduced by method of cyanotype. But of course, the near simultaneous invention of photography meant that the cyanotype had some photographic implications as well. So let's take a look really briefly at uh, the way cyanotype works. Technically, a cyanotype emulsion is made by mixing two chemicals, uh, two solutions of chemicals. Ferric ammonium citrate is mixed into a solution. Uh, and then potassium ferrocyanide is mixed into another solution. These two chemicals uh, together form a light-sensitive emulsion, but when they're kept apart, they're not not light-sensitive in and of themselves, or at least not terribly light-sensitive. But when combined and mixed together, uh, and then painted onto uh, a paper or a cloth, painted or otherwise uh, applied to paper or cloth, and then allowed to dry, the cyanotype emulsion becomes very sensitive to ultraviolet illumination. It's not at all sensitive to regular incandescent light illumination, but to UV illumination like the sun, it's very, very sensitive. So uh, that uh, object then of dried emulsion is taken out into the sun and objects are placed on top of it. And during that time, the emulsion begins to darken. And if you wanted to put something that was uh, perhaps going to blow away like a a feather or like a photographic negative, you could use a spring-loaded printing frame like we see here. You can see that it's got two little springs on it, one of which can be released to lift up the back so that you can check the progress of the exposure when you've got a photographic negative, and then close the back back up. Once the exposure is completed and you have sufficient light on the piece of uh, sensitized material, whether it's paper or cloth or something else, you then uh, can bring it into a moderately dark space to wash the image in water and bring out its blue color. And in fact, as the image oxidizes, uh, the iron, in the image, and because it is an iron-based and not a silver-based process, the iron in the image oxidizes and turns this beautiful shade of blue. So. Herschel, again, had this idea that this wasn't a particularly useful process for photography, but there were a number of other people who had different ideas. Among them was a woman named Anna Atkins. Atkins was an acquaintance of both Fox Talbot and of Herschel. She had been raised by a scientist father, and she became interested in the world of science, specifically botany. She collected dried plants. She was especially interested in algae. After Herschel introduced her to the simple and incredibly beautiful cyanotype process, she began to use it herself to record delicate algae specimens, whose fine detail eluded her drawing skills. Atkins self-published her extensive set of photograms in a book entitled Photographs of British Algae, Cyanotype Impressions. She published it in October of 1843, just one year after Herschel had invented this process in 1842. I also love here that uh, we see the cover of the book of Cyanotypes, which is in fact in and of itself a cyanotype. Even though the book was privately published with a limited number of copies and with handwritten text, Anna Atkins' book is considered the first book illustrated with photographic images now of course this is very interesting because students of the history of photography know about william henry fox talbot's book the pencil of nature But that wasn't published until about eight months after Anna Atkins' book. Fox Talbot published his book in June of 1844. That's when the first facsimile of The Pencil of Nature was released. That book was generally considered to be the first photographically illustrated book that was commercially published. Getting back to Atkins' book, Atkins, considered in some circles not only as the first woman to publish a book of photographs, but as one of the first women photographers. Other sources name uh, Fox Talbot's wife, Constance Talbot, as the first woman photographer. It's an interesting question, of course, because certainly these cyanotypes by Atkins are photographs of great beauty and significance, but they are cameraless photographs. No camera was employed, the objects themselves simply placed on the sensitized cyanotype material. And since no camera-based photographs by Atkins or Constance Talbot survive, the issue may never be resolved as to who is the first woman photographer. Intriguingly, uh, Atkins intended her work as a companion to William Harvey's Unillustrated Manual of British Algae, which had been published a year before her book in 1841. Atkins took tremendous care of every aspect of her masterpiece. She collected hundreds of specimens of algae and identified and labeled and made photograms of them. About 20 copies of Adkins' book are known to survive. I'll put a link to one of them, which is in the New York Public Library's collection, and you can see all the pages uh, lovingly uh, scanned uh, on their uh, website. The cyanotype never became tremendously popular, but as time passed, amateur photographers frequently used the process due to its ease and low cost. Therefore, we see a lot of images of family and friends commercially available pre-prepared cyanotype paper was produced, uh, which helped increase the use of the process somewhat, but ultimately the process stayed in the realm, uh, primarily the realm, of amateur photographers. One of the tremendous advantages of the cyanotype was that it was tremendously permanent, so images aren't likely to fade. Now, there were a number of photographers who didn't like the cyanotype process, and one of them was our old friend Peter Henry Emerson, uh, who was not uh, fond of the cyanotype's insistent blueness. The outspoken and often grumpy English photographer said, only a vandal would print a landscape in red or cyanotype. Emerson, as you'll recall, spent an important part of his life tormented by the debate between those who believed photography could be distilled into a hard set of fast rules and those who believed that it was a flexible form of expression and impression. And yet, amateur photographers continued to enjoy the cyanotype. Here's a cyanotype postcard. There's some writing on it. It seems to have been continued from the other side of the card, which I don't have access to. It says, Cloth, you can have it for a present. I think we told Mother she could use it when we were back home. Did she receive the money order for $2 that I sent for insurance? And it's signed, Eva. Eva. The process was often used for commercial images as well. And here's a wonderful example, a book of cyanotypes from the Stoddard Templeton Design Archive, which is housed in the University of Glasgow in Scotland, their library. The book is a photographic record of Templeton carpet designs. The Templeton in-house photographer photographed all of the carpets, produced cyanotypes, and then pasted them into volumes. I found a couple of really remarkable cyanotypes. Here is the Reverend Handel, presumably with the ladies of the congregation. Reverend Handel standing on the fulcrum of a giant teeter totter, clearly keeping his flock in balance. And here's a great image by the wonderful early 20th century photographer Francis Benjamin Johnston of schoolgirls in bloomers climbing up a climbing apparatus of some sort in a gymnasium. For a bit of a counterpoint to early cyanotype images, I wanted to show you this, uh, contemporary artist Christian Marclay's work using the cyanotype. Marclay explores the rich juncture points between the visual arts and film and mass market musical culture. The photograms in this exhibition are made with music cassette tapes that he physically disassembled. In some cases, the plastic cases of the cassette tapes form a grid and in other cases he unspools the tape and sort of strews the tape over the surface of the paper in loops and twists uh, recalling the idea of sound in its physical and material form and it's also interesting i'll give you a sense of scale here here is christian Markley, the uh, guy in the center of this image or center right of this image working in a dark room with uh, some uh, technicians on these cyanotype images so you can get a sense of that scale. So the cyanotype, an important part of early photographic history and a process that's easy to accomplish today. I'll put some links to some sources for the materials, as well as some links to some information about Anna Atkins and Sir John Herschel on the blog at photohistory.jeffcurto.com Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the History of Photography podcast. Don't forget to check out the History of Photography class sessions available on the web at photohistory.jeffcurtow.com or in the podcast feed. And while you're on the web, take a look at my other podcast, cameraposition.com, a podcast about the creative side of photography.